0: Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back again for the morning edition of Two Man Advantage. Uh, I, I like to think of this as you're know, like lucky if you got breakfast in bed, this is like the hockey version of it, right? You wake up and this is there, sort of more or less. And let's be honest, uh, the NHL playoffs continue to be a festival of drama and excitement. And uh, I am excited, frankly, to be welcoming in Tarek Al Bashir, our man in Washington, to talk a little Eastern Conference drama. Uh, Tarek, it was—I uh, thought it was really, to me, was going to be fascinating to see how the teams from the round robin made that transition to the first round of the playoffs and really had to start to play meaningful hockey for the first time since return to play. Began And in the East, there were some teams that people were like, I don't know, what's wrong with Boston? I don't know, is Washington, you know, do they care? And all of a sudden, after game one, three of the four round robin teams, you know, have come up with victories, obviously Tampa in the quintuple overtime classic against Columbus, Boston, a pretty sloppy game, but still they beat Carolina in double overtime. And uh, we also uh, saw the—who uh, am I missing now? Tariq? The Flyers. The no, Flyers. Flyers, yeah, sorry. Thank you very much. And I watched that game. <laughs> that, that game was epic. It was a terrific game. It uh, was. The Flyers uh, edging Montreal, but the, the lone blemish on the round-robin teams was the team you cover for us, so the Washington Capitals. And that—man, that was a game that for— at least, uh, you know, the first third, maybe, well, late, you know, late in the first period, looks like the Caps have, have got things going the way they want, but uh, the wheels really fell off and the Islanders score four unanswered goals and now own the series lead.
1: You know, Scotty, the, the Capitals were up 2 0 uh, midway through the second period on a couple of power play goals by TJ Oshie, but my mind just kept going back to that Anders Lee hit on Nicholas Backstrom. I'm thinking to myself, oh, goodness. I mean, this this is like the the worst possible scenario for the Capitals. Nicholas Backstrom plays second fiddle to Alex Ovechkin in D.C. He has for, for a decade. Um, everyone knows number eight. Everyone knows the grade eight for his goal-scoring exploits. Backstrom is the guy who drives the bus. He is the most important player on this team, I would say, you know, on most nights even more so than John Carlson because of all of the roles that he fills. He's the most important player in the defensive end because he's checking the other team's best center. You know, He's, he's the most important guy on the power play because he's the conductor on the wall. Um, you know, he's, he's good on face-offs. He just knows where to be. He knows how to push the right buttons of his teammates, sometimes without even saying a word. He's a great leader. And when he went down um, uh, with that check, he did finish the period, the first period, but the whole time I'm thinking, man, if he's out, this could be a real problem. Now they have overcome his his absence in small, you know, bits here and there over the years. I uh, remember the Stanley Cup uh, run they made in 2018; he missed a few games. But long term, if he's if he's not able to play, um, that could be a real problem for this team and. Uh, I, I feel like Oshie's second goal, it was like, okay, things are going the right direction, but then you see the line starting to get jumbled because Backstrom's not there, and you're like, ooh, this is starting to tilt the other way. The Islanders dominated the Caps at 5-on-5. Five five. And if we're being honest, the most important player on the ice in the playoffs is typically the goaltender. It's like the quarterback in football, the point card in basketball, the starting pitcher in baseball. If he's having a bad day, it's really, really hard to win, and Braden Holtby, who was outstanding, I thought, in the round robin, had a pretty bad day. Yeah.
0: Well, I want to go back to that Backstrom hit, because I'll, I'll be honest, I, I didn't like it at all. I, I thought Andrews Lee took advantage of a guy, hey, he's made the play uh, on the puck, he's not looking, he's vulnerable, and I, I, to me, it should have been a major. And uh, I, you know, I, I can understand why the Capitals were upset. I thought it was a predatory hit, and uh, I, I didn't like it one bit. Did were you, you know? My guess is the league's not going to um, is not going to take a look at this. Although I think they should. I I, I don't like the hit at all.
1: Um, the league did take a look at it. Uh, there is going to be no supplementary discipline for Anders Lee, is my understanding. Um, uh, that said, you're you're right, and the Caps had every reason to flip out after the game. Uh, it was predatory. Um, Anders Lee doesn't have a history of of being a dirty player. I, I think that probably you know plays a, a pretty big role in him not getting you know um, uh, anything from the league. You know that said, he knew what he was doing. But if you looked at his body language right after he delivered the blow, it was almost like he was like, oh, what did you just do, Anders, you know, in his own head, you know, like like he knew it was way late. He knew it was Nick Backstrom. He knew he did it right in front of the Caps binge. You know, John Carlson made a man for it right there. Um, uh, Tom Wilson uh, uh, took him to task uh, a little while later. But uh, those are ex- We say it time and again, Scotty, you and I have talked about this uh, over the years. Those are the exact type of hits you want to dial out of the game. We don't know what's wrong with Nicholas Baxter. It could be a shoulder, it could be a chest, it could also be a head because he's had concussion problems in the past, and if you watch that frame by frame, there was some whiplash action there when he took that blow, partially because he didn't see it coming. And that's the part that annoyed me the most was, you know what, if if you're going to blow somebody up, don't do it while their head is turned and they're kind of turning back into the action. Um, even if it's going to be late, make sure they see you coming. Um, and he didn't. And uh, if if Nick Backstrom misses any any significant time, that's a really really big problem for the Caps. Yeah.
0: Well, and you know what I love about this series is there's so much there's so much history and so much uh, you know interwoven between these two teams. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to circle back to Braden Holby at in a moment, but how important is this series for head coach Todd Reardon? Of course, you know <laughs> he's 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 playing against his old boss and Barry Trotz, and you know Barry, You know we know the story. The narrative is so. It was so dramatic at the end of that 2018 Cup run, and Barry Trotz's. You know, we knew. You know, you knew going into the playoffs in 18, Barry Trotz's contract not being extended. I completely understand that organizationally, Um, but you know, like I think Barry coached with a bit of a chip on his shoulder that spring, and maybe coached in a way that, in his heart of hearts, he knew he was leaving Washington regardless of how things unfolded there. I'm. This is my. My idea on that narrative, on that storyline, in eight. I, I agree with you one hundred percent. Yeah, and so he signs the big deal in, in in New York. He goes to the Islanders. They the top defensive team. They sweep the Pittsburgh Penguins. You know, like it. And now he's won another round, beating very handily, beating one of the greatest coaches of all time in Joel Quenneville in the Florida Panthers. And now he gets he he gets a shot at his old team. I like. I can't. I can't imagine how important this is for both these coaches, but I'm curious what you make of that coaching matchup.
1: It is uh, very important to both. And they'll tell you publicly in front of the microphones and the cameras, oh, it's just another series. Oh, that was two years ago. It's water under the bridge. It's not. Don't believe them. <laughs> <laughs> this, this means everything to Barry Trotz. He wants desperately to prove to the Capitals that they messed up. They done messed up. When, when they had a chance, there was a small window there. Uh, to, to to give him what he wanted, uh, they could have kept their Stanley Cup-winning coach. You know, I, I covered that from the inside. I was working for NBC Sports Washington when that all unfolded. And you, it, it, from the outside, if, if you're just a fan, you know, watching these games on TV, you're like, how did they... You're smacking yourself in the forehead. How did they not re-sign Barry Trotz? But then if you talk to people on the inside, you can kind of understand why they were so reticent to hand out a long-term extension with a lot of money to a coach they almost fired twice during that regular season. Like, there, there, were, there were times during that season where it was like, all right, he's run his course here. This isn't going to work anymore. And now you've got... And, and now you, you, you've kind of beaten the odds a little bit. You've won the Stanley Cup. You've got a coach that you, that you didn't resign. You've got a coach that was kind of coaching carefree because he knew he wasn't coming back. And it it just wasn't it, it was one of those divorces that didn't make a whole lot of sense. And years later, you can kind of you can kind of uh, you know relitigate it and go, did we make the right decision? You know, you know, why did this happen? But at the time, it was it was the right move um, um, for the team, and it was probably even the right move for for Barry Trotz to. Um you know, apply his trade elsewhere and get that contract elsewhere um, for Todd Reardon, on the other hand you know here's here's the guy that you know was the head coach you know he was standing right next to him on the bench through all those games he he had a front row seat for all the drama that was unfolding behind the scenes, and some of that drama was the fact that there was a perception whether it was true or not was that the caps were kind of waiting to see if. Okay, how how are things gonna go with Barry Trotz? If they don't, we got our guy. We got Todd, and I I feel like you know there was a little tension there between those two men. Um, You know, they still were able to you know pull it together and win the Stanley Cup. I I believe there was some tension, so I I do think that uh, (laughs) this is one of the best storylines in these playoffs right now. And if if Trotz wins and he and and let's say the Islanders win in five games, or you know it's really lopsided. I don't think that's going to happen, but if it were to happen, oh, I, I, the, the Caps fans are going to be insufferable. I might have to start muting people and blocking people. <laughs> I, might, I might have to take a break from Twitter for a little bit. Uh, and I, Maybe the Caps might have to just close their account down for a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it, it's going to be fun to see uh, kind of how this unfolds. I, I, I still think that the Capitals, when they play their best, their best is still better than the Islanders' best game one was not their best. The question is can they get there? can they find that game? It's been a while it's been since the start of the regular season you know which was it feels like two years ago now that they were playing at their their absolute best. So it, it's there but the question is can they find it?
0: Well, and, and you mentioned Braden Hopi, and I thought I wanted to circle back and before I sure. close our conversation on on the Caps. But, you know, again, such an interesting storyline going into here. You know, everyone knows Braden is coming to the end of his contract. Everyone knows what he meant to this franchise. He's a trophy winner. He's the man who came, mm-hmm. you know, came in from the bullpen in 2018 after, <laughs> right. after they dropped the first two games against Columbus, and he runs the table, right? So he's... He's—he is a—you um, know—he's just such an important player in my mind, at least in the history and the fabric of this franchise and it seems inevitable that he's going to have to go elsewhere just the you know the flat cap and how you know how do you make it work long term for you know a guy who's 30 years old and you know, he's, you know there's been some decline to Braden Holpe's game over the mm-hmm. last three years right his numbers aren't great and so it can't be denied it can't be denied and I wonder right I mean and part of the whole narrative is that Ilya Samsonov has you know he's the goalie of the future for this team. Oof. But, do we want to talk about him
1: too? Oh my gosh.
0: But not physically. He, I, you can fill me in, but did he even come back from Russia? Anyway, physically unable to <laughs> return to play.
1: There's a lot there, Scotty. There's a lot <laughs> How there? much time <laughs> do you have?
0: <laughs> but I mean, it gives, you know, Todd Reardon. I mean, I don't know what kind of options Todd Reardon has. It it seems from the outside like it's Braden hope or Bust, which is yes. not what you want. No, You don't want that if you're any team in, in the NHL playoffs. Um, but the Caps really don't have a viable plan B right now, do they?
1: They don't. And so that's why everyone got so excited. And I wrote a nice glowing story the other day for The Athletic about how great Braden Holtby played in those three uh, round-robin games. Uh, you know, He posted a 925 save percentage, a sub-two goals against. You know, And he was playing behind... A Capitals team that, for the most part, was kind of disinterested. It was just kind of like preseason games to them. So the fact that he was able to play as well as he did behind a, a team that just wasn't really that into it, um, kind of the way the Bruins were in that in that um, round robin, um, really kind of made people start to believe, hey, well maybe this is Braden, you know, um, conjuring up the spirits of 2018, and he's going to be able to, you know, carry this team once again. And, uh, and then we have a game like game one, you know, where, you know, he lost a rebound that got, you know, shoved on, you know, shoved right behind him. Uh, he, you know, he gloved down a pass on the power play, got nonchalantly, nonchalantly, tried to find Alex Ovechkin, got picked off. And that was a shorthanded goal. Um, the first goal he just totally whiffed on. Um, I, I mean, it, it just, you know, there were three goals there that, you know, when you're, if you're being, if you're breaking down the tape, you're going that's nah, pretty much on the goaltender there. Um, and uh, there's no Plan B, like you said, because Ilya Samsonov was supposed to be that Plan B. You know, he's a he's a first round draft pick who had a pretty good regular season. I mean, at one point he had 12 straight wins. I mean, he was doing stuff that other rookies hadn't done in a long time. He cooled off quite a bit down the stretch. Uh, didn't win a game in his final five starts. Some of that was the team in front of him. Some of that I thought was a goaltender that was. Um, you know the the league gets a little bit harder every every twenty games or so. I'm not sure he was really rising to to meet that challenge, um, but he goes home during the stoppage, according to my sources. Flips over in an ATV, hurts himself. Gets back on the ice, according to my sources. Gets run by somebody in a in a in a, in a practice uh, in the same area uh, of the upper body, whatever it is. I, I haven't been told exactly what it is, and he's hurt. And he comes over thinking he can play, thinking he's okay. Uh, I'll just tough through. I'll just tough my way through this. Gets to um, uh, Arlington, Virginia, uh, first couple days of July. They give him his medical exam to get him on the ice, and they're like, "Dude, you can't No, No, you're failed. This this is a failed exam. You can't. We can't put you on the ice yet." And everyone's, I mean, really in the front, everyone's just like, "Oh my God, what just happened?" Our literally our one B just. Uh, he can't play. <laughs> um, so, the, you know, they're, they're on their number three goaltender right now. He's, he's Braden Hope's backup. His name is Vitek Banachek. He's a two-time AHL all-star. Um, he's a second-round pick from several years ago. He's 23 or 24 years old. He's been in the system a while. They keep recruiting over him, which kind of tells you what they think of him. Um, that said, if this really goes sideways, a dude who has never played an NHL game He's their other option. They've got Phoenix Copley, you know, as their as their number three in the bubble. He's got some NHL experience, but he's a backup. So it really is, as you said, Braden Holpi or bust. And that's not a great place to be when you see how he uh, played there in Game One. Wow.
0: Well, I'll tell you, it's uh, there is going to be no shortage of drama. Before I let you go, I'm just curious what you make on. You know, we're going to see Game Two of uh, Columbus. Uh, uh, Tampa Bay, and I wonder because I think there's a certain parallel between Tampa Bay and and what they've gone through their misfortunes and 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 coming up short. I think there are some parallels to what we saw with the Capitals leading up to their Cup run in eighteen. And I wonder, a do you do you agree that that is true? And and if so, if you humor me, uh, and you do agree, how important is this series against Columbus, especially given what happened last spring to to you know to sort of you know, shaking off, you know, at least the the a part of the monkey that, is, yeah. that exists for that team.
1: I, I agree with what you're saying, Scotty. I, I mean, th- there are some parallels there. I mean, you know, supremely talented team um, that just hasn't been able to get over the hump, right? Uh, you know, they came off an embarrassing um, loss last year. <clears throat> the Capitals had a number of embarrassing losses, you know, leading up to um, their their final breakthrough there in 2018. Um I, I can certainly see um, what you're saying there. I, I mean, I, in my opinion, and, and as those games were, were uh, as those periods were, were unfolding, I'm thinking to myself, whoever wins this game is going to win the series because the other team is going to be absolutely gutted. Um, and, I, and I feel like that's the way this is going to go. I'm not saying they're going to sweep the Blue Jackets. The Blue Jackets are a good team. Uh, they're a very good team, um, uh, you know, and Seth Jones' best defenseman I, I've seen in a long time. Uh, that said, I do feel like uh, by getting that goal and what everyone went through, I I, I I gotta feel like maybe maybe that was the hockey gods saying, "All right, we, we tested you guys. <laughs> and now is finally your time." I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, that's the that's the. Um, the series that I'm most interested in, other than uh, the one that I'm covering, so um, I, I will certainly be tu- be tuned in. I mean, how long was that game? I I six went hours. For, I think <laughs> I went for okay. So I went for a mountain bike bike ride far from my house for like an hour. Came back and it was on. Took <laughs> my son around the Beltway to his hockey practice. Sat in my car for an hour and a half. Drove all the way home. It was still going. I mean, it was mind-blowing. It was mind-blowing, mind but I mean, just fantastic television. And I think from here on out, I, I think you're going to see a, a renewed um, Lightning team that has a little more confidence, a little more swagger. I think, I think they're going to be a dangerous team in this tournament. Yeah, good stuff.
0: All right, Tarek El-Bashir, thank you so much for hanging out with us this morning. You should always read Tarek's coverage for us uh, at The Athletic DC and follow him at Tarek underscore El-Bashir. My Thank friend, you, have a great day. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to go to a place where I spent some time, and I used to spend lots of morning skate time sitting right next to Sean Shapiro. Who knew that we would both end up at the Athletics somewhere down the road? And you know what? We're going to talk about the very same things that we talked about while we were together in Dallas, and that is what is going on with the Stars. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. Support for Two Man Advantage is brought to you by Manscaped who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And big news, Manscaped just launched in Canada. For those listeners in Canada, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team perfected the greatest ball-hair trimmer ever created. And have their new and improved lawnmower 3.0. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code TheAthletic20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code TheAthletic20. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The shed travel bag, a thirty-nine dollar value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to Manscaped.com today and use code The Athletic twenty. Sean, did I did I misconstrue things? I mean, have we not been asking the very same questions about the Dallas Stars now for since you and I have known each other? So it's got to be three years. What is going on with that team? Is that fair?
2: That's fair. I think your one uh, misconstruing, Scott, is uh, you mentioned morning skates, but I think we, these conversations also continued to post game bars quite a bit. So I don't. Th- <laughs> I think you're uh, you kept it you kept it a little bit cleaner. But yeah, the conversations <laughs> were the same whether it was at a morning skate or at some uh, hole in the wall place a- after a game at Staples Center. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that was it. that's good, and and you you are correct because there was often lots of there was lots of drama surrounding that Dallas Stars team and that. And seems like it has been the case you know, for a number of years now, and 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 really, uh, it was funny when Tark and I were talking about, you know, the four round robin teams in the Eastern Conference, and of course, three of those four teams managed to win in Game One of their first round series. A, a little bit less uh, success in the Western Conference, and I I wonder just in general, the Central Division, which used to be, you know, I think it had this mantle as that was where the power was in in the NHL and certainly in the Western Conference. Uh, I don't know whether we're seeing a shift in that. Back balance of power. Colorado scoring three late goals against uh, stingy Arizona. They were the only round-robin team uh, oh sorry, that they, they were this, the only Central Division team to come up with a win in game one of the first round. Of course, the Stars uh, losing to Calgary. We knew Chicago lost to Vegas. And then uh, St. Louis defending Stanley Cup champions uh, in a really exciting, close game. Uh, Vancouver blew it open in the third period and came away with the win. Are, are, are we are you surprised at maybe just how good the teams that are left from the Pacific are with the the two Canadian teams in Vegas, or is this just a, It's I know it's early in, in
2: round one. Um, I think it's a combination of things. I think we're seeing kind of a shift there, right? Like, I don't think—I don't think you can say the Pacific is better pound for pound than the Central. I mean, the Central still has— the defending cup champion for now. You still you don't have the uh, the bottom out the way you do in the Pacific with some of those uh, some of those California teams that aren't that didn't get invited to this tournament. But I, I I do think the central. I think we're seeing kind of the start of the shift to the Pacific being the more powerful division in the west. I think you've got Vegas is obviously such a strong team. I think Vancouver and Calgary are good young teams that are going to keep going. And I think some of the when you look at the the teams from the central that are good, you look at kind of their windows and it's either aside from Colorado, their teams that windows are either they're kind of in the later half of their window or they're kind of a couple question marks away from really being in that window. While the Pacific, I think you've got two or three teams where you look at Calgary, you look at Vegas, you look at Vancouver, and you can say, you know what, I real, feel really good about those teams competing for a cup in the next six to seven years. And I think in the Central, you can definitely say that about Colorado. And the other ones... Um, the other teams, like St. Louis, I still think St. Louis is a cup contender. I have to see we'll – I, I give them the benefit of the doubt for a slow start after how they turned things around this year. But I don't see them – it's not like their window is beyond one or two years where the team's in the Pacific. So I think we're starting to see kind of that trend of, hey, the Pacific is kind of taking – It's. but I, I guess that's a natural trend, right? You would think it kind of – those are the ebbs and flows of the league. And so the Pacific teams are going to kind of probably – be a little bit better for the next two, three years as we go forward.
0: Well, I mean, it is it is interesting, and I really like Vegas, and they, I think they'll handle Chicago very, very, very easily. Now, the other three series, and, and again, I think Colorado you know they they are going to overwhelm Arizona but the other two series are fascinating with both Vancouver and Calgary you know coming out of their play on play in victories and you and I talked about this last week uh, it, this it, this is a very interesting schedule and a very interesting moment for the Dallas stars and let's go back to, to game one um, I, I I, I still was like looking at the TV and going, is that Anton Kodobin in that? And like, what is? And then there's Ben Bishop on the bench, so he's, he's fit to play because he's backing up Kodobin, um, and and then the 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 flames come out. They end up with a three-two victory. The Stars scoring twice in very short order, but really, you know, not generating a ton. And now they play game two today, and then 24 hours later, I, I can't remember the game time start, so back-to-back though, so tomorrow they're going to play game three. This is, how important is this 24-hour period for this Dallas Stars franchise?
2: I mean, not only on top of that, it's, it's back-to-back, and then they play, so they play 9.30- Central, so 10.30 Eastern, 8.30 Mountain, whatever, doing all the, the translations. But they play back-to-back yeah. at that time, and then they play that, that game Friday night, and then they play the 1 o'clock game on Sunday. So you're looking at three games in 70 hours? Um, and, and that's and that's, and that's that's assuming the game tonight starts on time, and there's nothing without the Vegas-St. Uh, Louis game that pushes it back overtime. Uh, not Vegas, the, the uh, Vegas-Chicago game that pushes it back overtime. So, I mean, this, to me, is... With where the Dallas Stars are, with how they've struggled, they've lost ten of their last eleven. Before they beat St. Louis, um, in the shootout in the round robin, they had uh, they had they had been in a spot where they they were potentially looking at losing at losing ten in a row going into the playoffs. Now they they play a young, faster Calgary team that doesn't. Uh, That 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 kind of ran by them in the in in game one, and is going to have better legs in a back to back and in three games in 70 hours. So we talk all the time about every game in a playoff series is big, right? Game one is always big, game two is always big. It's always big, but to me, with this format and the schedule, game two feels so much like a must win for Dallas because if they're down 0-2, Calgary's going to have better legs going into game three. They could be very. This could very much set up as kind of the threshold moment where Calgary takes this series by winning game two and then the rest just feels like it's just like filling out, a, filling out the form to, to see what the final scores are. Right.
0: Well, what, what's like? What was the? I know Rick Bonas, the interim coach, it, it alluded to the fact that he, in his mind, it was a. I'm paraphrasing a no-brainer or an easy decision to go with Kodobin, uh as the starter in game one, and and I I don't think you can put the blame on Anton. Kodobin no, you can't. You can't blame the, Anton Cadobin. Yeah. No, so, right. No, you can't but it blame. Is still, yeah. Wait, were you, were you surprised, though? I mean, to me, it's it seems
2: still like a curious decision. I was surprised. I was pretty sure Ben Bishop was going to play. I thought even if Ben Bishop is healthy, is healthy enough to play and fit to play, it's his net. That is how what I assumed was going to happen, especially with Rick Bonus's history and, and the confidence he's shown openly with both, both words and actions for Ben Bishop. Um, but the fact that he went with Anton Hudobin tells me one of two things. It tells me... Either it was a message to the goalie, which I don't really think, but what I really think it is is we thought a 80%, 80% or 85% or whatever Ben Bishop is better as a backup than our prospect who is our third stringer right now. Like That's what that really tells me, where Ben Bishop was fit to play, but he probably wasn't fit to start, and he really needed those extra days. And so I, I think... Um, it's one of those things where it's weird, Scott, because we're not, I'm, I'm down in Dallas and it's not that I'd be up in, uh, Edmonton either way, but even if we were, we wouldn't be allowed to watch practice. We wouldn't be allowed to be able to watch and say, Hey, look at his movement. Look how this, these things are happening and everything like that. And. So it's, it's so hard to judge, and it's it's this, this whole unfit to play. We're not going to let you see practice or let anyone in the media watch practice. Like, I would have loved to tell Thomas Dranz, hey, can you go watch the Stars practice for me? Because we have for sure. we got yeah. Thomas up there. I would have always said, hey, Thomas, can you go watch and just, just focus on Ben Bishop? And we can't do that. Like, the Stars have a morning skate today. We, it would love, be great for the media to be able to just go watch a morning skate. That's normal. We've done that for 70 regular season games. And so we don't really know exactly what Ben Bishop's health is and the the teams obviously, and this is, you kind of got me on a little bit of a frustration. And I, I know I'm ranting here, but the, oh, you're good the, the, <laughs> rant away. That's what this is for. <laughs> but the, the fact that we can't even get, um, we can't get any clarifications and the team are using teams are using the safety net is frustrating to me because there are, so, there are, there are certain times and injuries in the playoffs where it's fine upper body or lower body, but, the lack of any clarification leads to further confusion just I mean for example just with the stars Stephen Johns left left in the third period and is unfit to play in the third period the other night and as many people may know Stephen Johns story he missed 22 months with the post-traumatic headaches and the concussions and everything like that and that is the type of thing where I don't care what Stephen Johns is actually unfit to play with but I just asked the other day of hey can you tell us if it's related to that or not and they wouldn't tell us and that's just the type of thing where when someone has had that type of injury in the past and you just throw the word unfit to play, everyone thinks the worst when in all reality, it could have been, Oh, you know what? It's, it's a bad bruise or a broke, a stinger, or, a stinger yeah. or something like that. And so this whole unfit to play thing, it's, I understand where the heart is on it in many ways, but I also think the application is too black and white. And for that reason, we don't know what really, what Ben Bishop, whether Ben Bishop is actually healthy or not. So I think, but to, to get back to the question, it's not Anton Dobin's fault they lost. It's the reason the Dallas Stars lost is the reason that they've they've lost so many games since February. Last time they won on February 25th is they can't score goals, and I know they scored two the other night, but that second goal that was a gift from Cam Talbot, and if and, and they were they probably lose that game three to one if Cam Talbot doesn't have let up the howler, uh, which I think was finally credited to Jamie Benn, but it was. The scoring was adjusted three times during the game. So, <laughs>
0: well, before we close it out here, then, and uh, you know, you've covered this team for a long time. Uh, it, it almost becomes it, it's it's an almost uh, white noise when you start to talk about the Dallas Stars and you stay, and you come back to the lack of offense and the lack of productivity from Captain Jamie Benn and from top forward Tyler Seguin. I, I mean, do you get? Is there a moment where it's almost like you're numb, or that fans are numb to this question of when will they get going? Can they get going? How important is it that those two guys get going? Because it seems to be, it seems to be self-evident that this team cannot have success without those two guys going. And yet, you know, last year they go, they're within a game of going to a Western Conference or a goal of going to a Western Conference final. I don't know. What do you make of this whole Ben Sagan thing as it relates to the series against Calgary?
2: Yeah. I mean, I I think people have, have, I have, and other people probably are getting closer to coming, coming numb on the, uh, to, to, on Jamie Ben's role. Um, I think people are starting to realize, and it's becoming, it's becoming just publicly accepted that he's not going to be the player he was. He's aged more. He is, he's a 31, but he's very old 31. And, and His impact is not going to match that contract. And I have a hard time being disappointed in what Jamie Benn's doing because it's what I expect from Jamie Benn. And I think that's kind of a sad reality for the Stars and Stars fans. The more concerning one is what is what is happening with Tyler Sagan. If Tyler Tyler Sagan apparently is battling something, if we, we don't know what it is, he was unfit to play in the last game of the round robin. But Tyler Sagan is had 50 points this year in that first year of that major contract. Now coaching and the system obviously didn't help with uh with, with how with, with with kind of the full offensive flow we were not talking about the Lindy Ruffiers, but if Tyler Sagan is gonna be a 50-point scorer and he's going to go through a playoff game like he did in game 1 with zero shots. And this is the norm for Tyler Sagan. Stars are screwed. Like I, I don't know how else to I don't know how else to say it. Like they're not just screwed yeah, for, for sure. the, they're not just screwed for this this series of the Calgary. They're screwed for seven more years with, with with what's left on the deal. So this is the Tyler Sagan thing is way more concerning. You can be Upset with Jamie Ben, but I think that's a reality you have to live with. And, and, it's, and if you're a Stars fan, it's easier to sleep at night if you just accept this is what Jamie Ben is. You can be upset, but you got you really you lose sleep over Tyler Sagan, and you just hope and you just hope that that the the crazy version of Alexander Radulov wakes up that morning because he's the guy who I think if the Stars are going to get back in this series, honestly, I think it's going to be Alexander Radulov who is going to have one of those crazy impactful games he, had, he can have a negative impact he's he swings so far from good to bad he had a really bad penalty the other night and so we're gonna uh we're, we're gonna need to see, the stars are gonna need to see alexander radulov go off for one of his kind of crazy positive games if we're gonna uh if we're going to if we're gonna see if we're gonna see the stars stay in this series you know what I always love? When
0: you get the drum roll that oh. tells you that you're in <laughs> your hit. And
2: that's the perfect
0: timing for us. But, uh, Sean, thanks for hanging out with us. I I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, it's going to be fascinating, you know, whatever it is, 70 hours, as you point out, uh, as the flames and the uh, stars are going to crash right through the heart of this series. Uh, and you should always read Sean's coverage at The Athletic DFW and follow Sean at Sean Shapiro. So get some rest. Got a lot of hockey ahead of you, my friend, but thanks for dropping by this morning. Yeah,
2: I didn't have a, I wasn't able to brag about a one hour uh, bike ride like your prior prior <laughs> guest, but I was able, you were able to witness a little bit of the uh, toddler background uh, music. So that's, I'm, I'm glad we were able to contribute that.
0: Yeah, no, it was all good. It was a perfect segue to, to our close. So thanks for hanging out with us. All right, everybody, that's it for this morning's edition of Two Man Advantage a Playoff version and you should check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the athletic app and don't forget to rate and subscribe to two-man advantage on apple uh reminder don't miss nhl agent judd moldaver uh, among his clients austin matthews lots to discuss and unpack with that client i'm sure uh judd joins craig Custance on the full 60 this week And, of course, I'm Scott Burnside, and we will be back tomorrow morning with another edition of Two Man Advantage and catching up on all of the activity in
2: the NHL players.